across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Avalanche Talk. Everybody quarantined out there in Avalanche land. We figured it was a good time to bring back a podcast. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me as always, Arif Dean. How you doing during these uh, different times, Arif? I'm doing about as good as you can do during this time, JJ. Yeah, I mean, today was supposed to be the last game of the regular season for the Avalanche. You know, So it's kind of a, a somber note that we're doing this podcast, but... Um, you know, I also thought it, w- it would be an adequate time and make sense to, to deliver a podcast. I don't know what people are doing out there, you know, during their quarantines. I don't know if they're listening to podcasts or not, but why not hang out with us for a little bit? Figure you might miss our voices. Are you listening to podcasts right now, Arif, or, or how are you spending a lot of your time? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to quite a bit of podcasts. I mean, pretty much anybody that's that's uh, bringing out content right now, whether it's the Spit and Chicklets guys, whether it's uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick and the 31 Thoughts, uh, Greg Wyshynski's got a couple podcasts, so I've just sort of been listening to anything and everything just to try to stay in the loop, and because, I mean, let's face it, we're all hockey fans, we all love the sport, and we want to be around it, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Luckily for me, I'm so far behind on all those hockey podcasts that I'm back in, like, February, late January, so it still feels like there's <laughs> relevant hockey news, but I'm just really uh, catching up on all the ones I'm behind on. Other than that, not really listen to podcasts at all, so again... Thank you for joining us if you have. If not, um, you know, it's whatever. You're free to do, you know, watch Tiger King, watch any Netflix shows. I personally, (laughs) I've been watching Narcos a lot during this quarantine, something I've never seen before, and I'm loving it. So um, let's move on, talk some hockey now. You know, it's been about three weeks since that uh, last Avalanche game. Weird to think that we were probably at one of the last sporting events to go down in the United States in a long time. Um, you know, you and I were planning on talking about uh, that game kind of later on that weekend, and that's yep. when it all kind of got canceled. So I wanted to get into that game a little bit. You and I were both there. It was against the New York Rangers at home, and there's just a, a really weird vibe in the atmosphere. Yeah, so the reason why that vibe happened is because it was right around the time that the players took the ice for the pregame warm-up. I was somewhere downstairs, I think, in the media lounge, hanging out with a couple of other guys, and... The news came out, the whole Rudy Gobert news came out, and the Utah Jazz at Oklahoma City game was stopped live, dead in its tracks, right before tip-off. That whole surreal moment happened just as the players took the ice for the pregame warm-up. And nowadays, with technology, everybody in the crowd was sort of keeping up with that. And it hit everybody all at once where it got to that point where everybody realized, like, holy crap, like, this is a real thing that's happening. And it became very much apparent at that moment that like, Hey, this is going to be the last avalanche game in a long time. And that's how I felt right away. That's how a lot of other people in the press box felt right away. And you know, it it ended up being exactly that. 
Yeah, I mean, I went to that game as a fan. Luckily, I got to sit in a suite thanks to my friends at Altitude Radio. They invited me for that game. So I got to keep some form of social distancing about me. But you could tell everybody, all the fans were kind of freaked out. People were afraid to get close to each other. A lot of elbow fives going on. And if I recall correctly, even uh, one of, <laughs> after one of the Avs scored, they went down the line and did elbow fives. So it was a, just a weird vibe. Everybody was had it on their mind, and um, it, it was just kind of a... I don't know. It's hard to explain without being there just how weird. And it almost felt like it was a mistake. Luckily, it was early on in the pandemic. I don't think uh, there were any cases probably in the building, but people were still on edge. Yeah, it was it was really weird. It it, it was also the second last NHL game that night. The Kings and the Sens played at 1030 Eastern, 830 Mountain. So they finished a little bit later. But you can tell it was getting to that point where people were sort of uncomfortable to be there. They didn't really know if they should be there or not. And let's face it, you know, once it got to that point, it was, you know, that plus the NBA stopping their season. It it, it was very much apparent that it made absolutely no sense to continue. Nobody was going to show up to these games. And, and even if people did show up, it was going to be with this, like, sense of kind of regret, kind of like, am I really taking this serious enough? It's a surreal time to be alive, man. It's been 101 years since the world has seen something like this, since the Spanish flu of 1919. And, and I never, ever, in my wildest dreams, imagined that we would live through something like this. But here we are. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy that all, all things are put on halt. But the latest news coming, I guess, out of this whole pandemic and the NHL is today there's supposed to be a call with the President of the United States and all the commissioners of every single sport. Um, I, I guess, obviously, I just want to know what you think is going to come out of that. Obvi there's not going to be anything specific towards the NHL, but just kind of sounds like the, the president's going to kind of lay down some rules for what's to be expected for the near future and maybe even next season. I mean, there's a, there's a chance that there's not even an NHL season next year. Yeah, so it's a good thing you brought that up because right before we started recording, I did read a little bit of updates on that. And uh, it looks like it was just one of those conversations where it's news, but it's not really news because in the end, this is still a very much an uncontrollable pandemic where we don't really know where it's going to go. And uh, Donald Trump told, told commissioners that, number one, he said that he believes the NFL season should start on time in September. But again, that word should has to be, you know, taken as a very lightly used word because we just don't know what's going to happen between now and September. Um, the big one that I think uh, is the most uh, beneficial in regards to the NHL is he told commissioners that he hopes to have fans back in stadiums and arenas by August and September. Um, it's currently unclear if medical experts find that to be a realistic timeline amid the current coronavirus pandemic. That's a tweet from Adam Schefter at ESPN. So again, I mean, you know, everybody has their opinions on Trump. He's not by any means a medical professional, so we don't really know where this is going to go. Um, so the conversation was more of a no news type of thing. Um, but if it is August and September, when medical professionals believe that that's when you can come back, then that sort of aligns with the NHL's plan. Well, the NHL PA's plan of kind of having a late training camp and a training camp in late July and then having a playoff going to be crazy to see how it unfolds because who knows what it actually will be okay come August, yeah. September. I mean, I can easily see it being um, a lot more simple for all the leagues to hold the, the matches without fans for the time being and maybe start the first couple months without fans as long as all the players have tested and have cleared. Um, but, you know, then it's tough to control what players do what on their off time and who knows if they can, you know, eventually con 
get get the disease again and then bring it back into the NHL, then everything's back at square one. So that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. For everybody, it's just kind of a wait and see and uh, see how this develops, see how it gets contained. And uh, yeah, everybody's in the same boat, right? Exactly. I mean, right now, like I wish there was something that I could say to, you know, sort of give shed a little bit of positivity on this and basically say that we're expected to be back on a specific date. But we just don't know. All we know is that right now the NHL wants to award a Stanley Cup this year. They want to finish the season in some capacity, even if it means playing into August and September. That's fine with them. And then having a little bit of a transition before the next season. Because let's face it, it does seem like a lot for a Stanley Cup champion to, you know, raise the Stanley Cup on September 20-something and then start the next season on November 1st. But at the same time, they also had March, April, May, and June off. And that's more time than players usually get off. So um, it would be a little bit of a grind for whoever does win the Stanley Cup, assuming this was to happen. But it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Um, And even if it were... During these unprecedented times, like something crazy has to happen in order for the Stanley Cup to be awarded. You want it to kind of at least have some form of regularity to it. You don't really want to have a March Madness tournament and have 31 teams or 24 teams or whatever it may be sort of gunning in a one man in a, in a one game elimination. You kind of want some bit of traditional regularity to it. But the reality is something about it is going to be off. There's going to be a bit of an asterisk toward the Stanley Cup, at least for a little bit of a time. Um which sucks for teams like the Avalanche who have, you know, had a great season and were sort of on the on the road to being one of the playoff perennial contenders, but I mean at this point it is what it is and anything that we could get in the form of a Stanley Cup being awarded this year is better than the alternative which is still a possibility of the season being washed completely. Yeah, well that's the thing is it's still early in all of this that there's a lot of options that can still possibly play out. So that, I guess that's the positive thing is there there, there are a lot of different ways they can go about doing this. The longer this takes, the less options they're going to have, and we'll see if that's actually something that can get done. But, again, who knows? And, you know, we'll get into the, what the avalanche would have looked like a little bit later in the podcast. But right now, for this beginning portion, I kind of wanted to get into a little bit of, of reminiscing. I mean, like we said, today was supposed to be the last regular season game against St. Louis. In my opinion, it would probably been a loss, but who knows. Um, I wanted to kind of look back, and this was actually your idea, so yeah. we wanted to kind of look back on um, that game from two years ago that everybody remembers, the Avalanche clinching that final playoff spot in the final game of the year against the almighty St. Louis, who's, who had been giving them fits all season long that year. So it was very surprising to see them. Um, you know, you and I kind of went back, watched uh, parts, the bits and pieces of the game, and uh, just wanted to kind of look back on that. I mean, we saw the guys from BSN kind of look back on the 01 playoffs, and uh, that looked fun. And, you know, I even partook a little bit with what they were doing. So figured it'd be a good time, you know, why not look back? Because we're we don't know what's, what it's going to look like looking forward. So um, let's get your initial thoughts on that game, just your overall analysis before we kind of head into some of my more detailed notes from, from that game 82 in 2018. So that was a fun game uh, in the sense where, I mean, I mean, we all remember that season. The Avalanche weren't supposed to be a good team. They weren't supposed to make the playoffs. They were kind of coming in with all these young guys. They signed Kerfoot out of college as a free agent. Uh, Tyson Jost was going to be a full-timer. Uh, JT Comfer was going to be a full-timer. Matt Duchesne trade was sort of this big cloud that was surrounding the franchise at the time. And they lost Will Butcher. And it was just, it was a very weird summer that summer. And I mean, it it has to be weird when you come out of a season where you have 48 points and 22 wins. Um, 
that game specifically, it was you know hilarious that it had gotten to that point and it got to the point where the avalanche had to win and they had to win outright in 60 minutes if it got to overtime st louis would have made the playoffs and it's hilarious that it got to that point because that last week of the season colorado went on a three-game road trip in california which used to be a problem for them it wasn't this year uh with this new look abs but they ended up losing to anaheim on sunday april 1st in overtime the monday the following night they lost to la in regulation they had two days off they had a game in San Jose on Thursday, lost in regulation, one day off. Here we are Saturday setting up for this game. So Colorado could have clinched earlier in the week had they not went on an 0-2-1 streak at the most important time of the season. But, you know, like Patrick Waugh used to say, balls on the table and game 82, they had their balls on the table. It was, you know, everything was on the line and they had to win in regulation and they were able to do that. Uh, looking at a couple of those losses, like you said, they could have clinched uh, with a couple games before that last game. A uh, big factor in that, if I recall correctly, was the fact that Varley was hurt. They were riding Jonathan Bernier for a very large portion of that final stretch. And in my opinion, Bernier just wasn't exactly a good fit here in Colorado. He was adequate. Don't get me wrong. He was fine. Um, but I just don't think he really um, brought his A-plus style here in Denver. I, I think he kind of was self-oriented more than team-oriented and I kind of got that vibe from the day I first talked to him he just wasn't exactly the nicest guy didn't seem like he was super excited to, to really be in Colorado or, or even talk about Colorado and not to mention we were fresh off losing Calvin Pickard who was just you know a, a sweetheart amongst Avs fans everybody loved him I love talking to him you know all the media loved him too so um, you know Bernier just kind of rubbed me the wrong way that whole year maybe I have some sort of grudge but I wasn't uh, stoked to see Bernier in net for those final kind of games and then heading into the playoffs as well yeah so I mean, from Bernier's point of view, I mean, I obviously was not in the locker room at the time, so I've never really interacted with Bernier outside of uh, the Red Wings games that I've covered this year, especially the one in Detroit that he started. Um, it was a weird time for him. He was supposed to be one of the best goalies and up-and-comer, uh, kind of that new, uh, you know, that new fresh goalie, that new youngster that was playing in a backup role, kind of like Martin Jones in LA and went to San Jose and became a starter. Everybody expected Bernier to be that guy too. And his time in Toronto ended very sourly. We all remember how that went. Uh, he was traded to Anaheim for, I think, a conditional seventh round draft pick and just sort of like, you know, brought his career back up from the dead. He was basically almost to the point where he wasn't going to be in NHL anymore. And he signed a one-year deal in Colorado and you know, I can sort of get why he had that kind of attitude just because it wasn't what he had expected. It wasn't the position he expected to be in. Uh, but his play with the Avalanche and in the playoffs before his injury and late in the season and that, holy crap, that 10-game winning streak, I completely forgot about that. Um, that's what led to him getting three years and a little over $9 million in Detroit. And, you know, it's Detroit. They're a bad team, but he's been exceptional this year. He's been a breath of fresh air for them. And, and let's face it. You got a three-year contract to make $9 million playing the NHL when two years earlier you probably weren't expected to continue to have a career. Um, so I think it sort of took a turn for the worse for him, and the Colorado year was sort of a transition for him into becoming a regular NHLer again. So I kind of see where he was coming from. But, you know, he wasn't exactly a great fit here. You knew that the Avalanche uh, were smart to let him go. He wasn't going to be the long-term answer, even though they kind of did ruffled feathers and have that idea of trying to re-sign him 
um, it was a good thing that they didn't because obviously acquiring Grubauer and then bringing in Fransuz seems like it's been a better option, especially long term. Right, exactly. The Avalanche wouldn't be where they were today if they didn't, you know, end up making those moves. And Grubauer, you know, not exactly the friendliest guy either, but you could tell he's got more affinity for his team and he's happier to be here. Um, So, you know, it's gotten us where we are today, so you can't really do much complaining. But it was just weird for me to see Bernier in net. I forgot that he took the reins in that game. Um, You know, he's just a guy that doesn't really do anything exceptional, but does everything okay. Um, So I think that's why he was fine, but, you know, he later kind of uh, left the avalanche hanging. Um, we'll get into a little bit a little bit of that later. Um, the other thing I noticed from that game, and it was honestly the, the very first highlight uh, from, from, that, uh, from that matchup, was watching Nathan McKinnon skate down the ice. He just looked different. He looked, A, a little bit skinnier, which, of course, he, he's been working on his size for, for quite some time now, but he seemed more reliant on his skill back then and less his speed and power. It looks like in the last two years he's really transitioned to relying on how much faster he is. You know, he knows he's better than everybody hands-wise, but he's far and beyond everybody speed-wise. So it looks like he's kind of embraced that side of his game a lot more as opposed to that game where I saw him kind of, you know, stop moving his feet, where nowadays you'd see him really pushing those crossovers to create some power and momentum around defensemen, and instead he's, he's relying more on his hands to do the work. So that's just a small thing I noticed from Nathan McKinnon. Do you see any kind of change from what you saw in the highlights to the McKinnon we see today? I mean, it's exactly that. His, you know, that was the first year that McKinnon became a powerhouse player and, and, and became one of the best in the NHL, and, and it seems like every year he's he's taken you know he's taken it upon himself to develop a better part of his game like all the best players do um hopefully this summer he works on the face-offs like we've been expecting for the last three years but uh other than that you know he he this year you can tell it kind of reminds me of Duchesne when he was a rookie and kind of was just 100% all the time skate 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 and 20 seconds into a shift he's gas McKinnon this year has learned to find a way to sort of have his speed and his energy on reserve and use it when he needs it which is when he gets the puck skates up the blue line enters the zone and the Pepsi Center is buzzing because they know something exciting is about to happen and it just looks a little bit different than last year or even two years ago and uh 25 seconds into the game, like you said, he just, he sort of powered and used his hands to get an opportunity that was stopped by Jake Allen. And you can tell how much his game has come along, even though he's still the same dominant player he was back then. Yeah, absolutely. And then another thing that I really took note of is, you know, having guys like Patrick Nemeth, Carl Soderberg, even Blake Como, it made them a much bigger team, which is something I've been pounding the table for for years. I love the size. But it also made them worse. They were worse with those guys. And obviously they're better now when they're a lot leaner, they're a lot smaller, a lot faster. So it made me think, are we seeing right in front of our eyes the big guy becoming obsolete? Not in net, because I still definitely think the the goalie, people love giant goalies that can still move. But it seems like definitely on the abs for sure that big guys are, are just becoming unwanted in the NHL. I wouldn't say unwanted. I would just say it's not an emphasis anymore. Um... And don't, you know, I don't want people to confuse size with physicality. Um, I hammered this uh, on a podcast I did with Mike Chambers for the Denver Post a couple weeks ago, is that the Avalanche have physicality. They have Landeskog on the top line, even McKinnon. They have Nazem Kadri on the second line. 
They have JT Comfer on the third line. They have Calvert on the fourth, Belmar on the fourth. They're defensemen. They have the guys like Zidorov. You need physicality. I don't believe you can build a team like Toronto where your firebug and your fireball in your top six is Alexander Kerfoot or or, or uh, not Sammy Kapanen, Kasperi Kapanen. Um, if you're going to have smaller guys, they need to have that physicality. They need to be like a Matt Calvert, like a Gabe Landeskog, uh, like a Pierre-Edward Belmar. So I wouldn't say the big guy is necessarily obsolete. There's some kids getting drafted nowadays that are going to be 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", Lafreniere, Byfield, the top two picks this year. But I would say it's not an emphasis. It's more about the game you play, your physicality and your skill rather than your size. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the guy like Carl Soderberg, who's got that size but doesn't really know how to be physical He never with uses it. it, yeah. That's the guy that we're going to start to see slowly out of. And, and not to say Patrick exactly. Nemeth. I mean, he was a little bit physical, but for, for his size, you'd like to see him throw hits like Zadorov, which yeah. is why one of yep. them's still around and one of them isn't. Yeah, and I mean, you still uh, you still have a few guys like that. Like Ryan Graves is a huge body. He doesn't always use it, but he's he's done a good job of using it when he needs to. And then you have Zadorov, who we've seen him sort of in and out of the doghouse this year, using his size when he can and, and sort of failing to do so when he doesn't and being sat and benched or, or playing 12 minutes a game because of it. But I definitely agree with you that, you know, it's just crazy to look back on that game and look back on... Nieto, Como, Soderberg being your second line, or I can't or, believe you said like that because that's literally what I was about to say next. It's that, that line was nauseating, and re- watching those highlights reminded me how bad they really were and how far we've come in just two years of actually having a legitimate second line. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. Their third line was Kerfoot, Jost, and Andreghetto. Remember him, and then your fourth line had Gabriel Bork on it. Uh, it was just a weird lineup through and through. It really was McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, and then nothing else. At the time, you know, Tyson Jost was still an up-and-comer. Kerfoot obviously wasn't traded. You sort of had some hopes for some of these guys, um, but they never really amounted to much. Kerfoot was traded. Uh, Comfer obviously is a good player, and Tyson Jost is who he is, is up and down the lineup. He's not that second-line center you thought. So it's just crazy to see how far this team has come. Right, right. And, you know, guys like Andrew Gitter aren't even in the league. Um, yeah. Again, another thing I really wanted to point out was Barry's, uh, Tyson Barry's goal that made it 2 nothing. I mean, it was so intense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, we had to sit there. I remember sitting there and waiting for the review because they thought the puck popped off outside. It looked like it went outside, but I think, you know, the cameras are so pixelated, they couldn't definitively say whether or not it came out of the zone or not so they just went with the call on the ice and it was just good to see Barry's smile you really miss that guy's smile I mean he was such a core part yeah. of this team for so long he reminds me of Vilay Nieminen just always smiling on the ice just so clearly having a yeah. good time out there yeah um if there's one thing I think I mentioned this to you a couple months ago is what I really miss about Tyson Barry is his ability to get the puck through from the blue line um the Avalanche were able to play it through him a lot more than they have with Makar. And that's not to say Makar isn't going to get better. This is his first year, and it took Barry quite a few years to develop it to the power play quarterback that he became with the Avs. Um, but with McKinnon and Rantanen at the two corners at the, on the on the half walls and Barry at the point, they, they sort of fed the puck through him. And they're not doing that as much with Makar, and hopefully that starts to develop, and that's what's going to eventually lead to the Avalanche being a top-five power play team again. Um, 
that goal was awesome. It was nice to see him score. Sam Gerrard had the first goal. So right off the bat, the Avalanche took a 2 to nothing lead, and it was these two smaller defensemen, not these two big physical bruiser guys, but these two smaller, skilled, smart defensemen that gave the Avs an early 2 nothing lead. Yeah, and I like your point there about the power play. I mean, we saw Barry and McKinnon work that power play together for years. So, um, you know... Th- that familiarity doesn't just come overnight. It doesn't come in one season. So like exactly. you said, it, it'll eventually get better. But this was year one and, you know, Kale McCarr's rookie year. So let's give him some time. And I think that power play will inevitably get better throughout the years. Um, last note I had from that game was uh, obviously the dog pile was sweet, but it came from an empty netter from Gabe Landeskog. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, wow, it feels like he's got empty netters on his stick a lot of times sometimes he makes them sometimes he doesn't but he always puts himself in those positions to bury empty net goals i wonder you know i'd like to see where he kind of ranks in terms of empty net goals in the nhl right now yeah and i mean a lot of people always complain on you know about players that score a lot of empty netters you hear it all the time with ovechkin oh he's got all these hat tricks but the third goal is always an empty netter the way that i see it the way a lot of people should be seeing it is the coach trusts this player in a defensive position uh, and the best defense is an offense in the end. So if you have a Gabe Landeskog or an Alex Ovechkin, for example, who can get the puck on his stick down a man because of a pulled goalie and find the lane to shoot it into an empty net, that's the best defense you can have. So it, it just means that the player is trusted. Speaking of Landeskog, actually, from that game, it kind of reminds me of how he's played the last three weeks You know, before this NHL pause is... This guy always ramps it up at the end. He really took control of that game. There was one point where Peter McNabb mentioned Landis Cog has led the way this entire time, and now he scored this empty net goal. And he's been doing it now. He's got, I believe, somewhere along the lines of 11 goals, 11 assists in like his last 20 games or something like that, uh, leading up to March 11. Sorry if I'm a little rusty on the stats. It's been about three and a half weeks since we've seen hockey. So, um, but it's been something like that, and he's ramped it up. He's taken on that leadership role, and that's why he was at the time named the youngest captain in the NHL, and that's why he continues to lead this team is because he's able to take control at the most opportune and, and important times of this regular season and the playoffs. Yeah, well said. I, that pop, that thought definitely popped into my head too um, when watching those highlights. Is it was exactly like what we were seeing from him the last couple of weeks. So um, it's really a bummer that we didn't get to see how he finished his season because I think he would have really yeah. resurrected the kind of tough stretch he had there, kind of towards the middle of the season. But um, you know, that's all I really have from that game. Anything else you wanted to point out from that? Uh, looking back to that game from two years ago. No, I mean it was just great to see uh, the dog pile. Like you said, was awesome. Uh, seeing a young McKinnon sort of, you know, excited to get back to the playoffs, a young Miko Ranton and excited to be in the playoffs, a young Landeskog excited to be back, knowing that literally two years ago to the day almost, that was April 7, today we're recording, it's April 4th, they know that they're a playoff team now. They are not excited to be back in the playoffs. They want to make a difference. They want to be the team to beat and that's development at its finest. That's 24 months of this team growing and the leadership group growing into a into a belief system where they know that they're one of the best in the NHL and they should be one of the Stanley Cup contenders year in and year out moving forward. Yeah, and we can't forget about the other feel-good story behind that game and what's getting them to this point really at the heart of it is Coach Jared Bednar. I mean, that was his first yeah. big leap forward, yep. you know, proved himself to be a playoff coach. Um, you know, it was good to see him just getting excited about making the playoffs. He had a lot less gray hairs back then, but uh, I guess that's 
That just comes with the gig, though, right? Um, now that we looked back on that, I wanted to take a second, since this was supposed to be the last regular season game. Again, I think that's the third or fourth time I've said that. Um, I want to look back on this season. Um, you know, it's, it's a good time to yeah. kind of reminisce. It seems like the regular season is behind us now. It doesn't seem like they're going to recoup any games moving forward, but I could be wrong about that. Um, so I'd, let's just start simply with what was your most memorable game of the NA, of the Avalanche season this this year so far? You know, I'm going to I'm going to stick to the theme of playing the Blues 2 years ago and playing the Blues today. I'm going to say it was a game against the St. Louis Blues on January 2nd. Um and that game and what came to follow 16 days later is why you and I disagree about the fact that you I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but you don't think they would have won today's game. I do think they would have won it. Um is that the Avalanche lost to the Blues twice early on in the regular season, both of them in St. Louis. Uh, that's the defending Stanley Cup champions. That's the best team in your division and in your conference. You have to go through them. You have to beat them. Then comes January 2nd. The Avalanche had lost three straight games, and all three of them were during that crummy time where they were blowing third-period leads uh, at home for the most part, and it was to Minnesota, Dallas, and then Winnipeg. Three division games, and the Winnipeg game was New Year's Eve. They come into that game on January 2nd, and they put up seven goals. Uh, they completely dominated them. They had a three to nothing lead. They uh, and then when St. Louis made it three to two, they came back and scored four straight goals and just put the dagger in their hearts. They beat them seven to three. Sixteen days later, they beat them again at the Pepsi Center five to three. And knowing that, I just feel like they would have won today's game, knowing that it was at the Pepsi Center. There was a lot on the line for them. St. Louis didn't have a lot to prove. Colorado has a lot to prove. And today would have been another big step in proving that they can win this division. And I don't know if today's game would have been for all the marbles, um, but whether Colorado was in the lead, St. Louis was in the lead, or this game was for first place, I feel like Colorado would have made a statement and said, we can beat you. Even if we have to meet Dallas in the first round, we are going to beat them, and then we're going to meet you, and we're going to beat you too. Man, how sweet would that have been if this was for yeah. all the marbles of the Western Conference and the division? Just all of it, all of it. That would have been sweet. My most memorable game from the season, I think, is the overtime game they played up in Vancouver. We're right before overtime. Matt Calvert gets hit mm. in the head with the puck. Um, I think the reason it's most memorable for me is because that's when we saw Nathan McKinnon just be at his finest. He gets pissed off and just takes the game over, ends the game in overtime, and then you just hear all the players just get their teammates back. I mean, nothing like brotherly love, nothing like locker room love, and there's nothing like, you know, a hockey bond. When, when the players feel like they've been wrong and one of their brothers have been wrong, they, they stepped up and they, they made their voices heard, and they weren't afraid to hold back. I remember Eric Johnson cussing, Nathan McKinnon just left and right making some solid points about the NBA versus the NHL, and, you know, you just, mainly you just love to see how angry Nathan McKinnon responds so positively you know there's times where he's feeling pressure and I feel like he kind of tends to crumble under pressure and grips his stick a little bit too tight feels too much weight on his shoulders um, but then there's times where he gets pissed off doesn't overthink any of that and just says I'm taking this game over and that's what we saw from him that night and it, it's just I don't know makes me makes me happy inside Yep, it came in the form of a goal 27 seconds into overtime. And I mean, we all remember that play. We all remember what happened. We all remember Elias Pettersson was the player that hit Calvert. Obviously, inadvertently, it wasn't on purpose or anything. That kid's a great player, great skill. And he stopped and looked down at Calvert kind of like, holy shit, I just shattered this guy's face from four feet away with a shot uh, and a puck to the face. And, uh, you know, when the player on the other team down a goal or down two goals is more worried about 
his opponent than he is about tying the game. You know that it was a missed call, and that's exactly what it was. Um, but it was just great, like you said, to see McKinnon come up and say, you know what, like enough is enough. We're not going to let this get the most of us. We're not going to let this game get away. And, uh, you know, he's done that a couple times this season. That 9-4 game against Nashville, he sort of led that route. Uh, the overtime goal against Florida early on in the season, that back-to-back game, uh, he said, we're not losing this game. And he, you know, he took control and that's, you know, that's the player that you want. That's the guy that you want to lead your team when you need it most is your best player. Yeah, absolutely. So that leads me right into my next question. You know, unfortunately, Nathan McKinnon, right before the coronavirus break, we saw that he was going to miss a couple weeks. So I think that's definitely going to affect your answer here a little bit, but he's, he's, he was held at 93 points when the season stopped. Do you think he would have gotten to 100 by season's end, by today? So he would have missed probably about five games. It would have given him an opportunity to play with that another seven games, and he needed seven points. I think he would have gotten it just because he really wanted it last year, and even if it's not the most important thing for him, he would have he would have done everything in his power to get it on game 82, just like he did last year. Uh, you know, assuming game 82 wasn't going to be that important. But if game 82 was going to be for all the marbles, I'd also think he's going to get it because he's going to be the one to lead them to hopefully defeating the St. Louis Blues today if that game was to happen. Um, So I do think he would have gotten it. I just think it's funny to look at his stats line because over the last three seasons, he's played 74, 82, and 69 games. He has scored... 39-41 this year, 35 goals, but his assists every single year, 58-58-58. I don't know what it is about that number. Obviously, this year was only 58 in 69 Hmm. games, but he's got 58 assists every single freaking season for the last three years. And, you know, it's just funny to see that because the previous three years before that, he couldn't even hit 58 points. Wow, that's really interesting, actually. Um, Yeah, I I never noticed that. Maybe there's something to that 58. Um, More importantly... To me, you know, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast is I had a bet with one of my friends back in before the season started back in training camp who was going to have more points this year, Nathan McKinnon or Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane is in eighth. Nathan McKinnon is in fifth. Patrick Kane has 84 points. Do you think I would have won my bet, Eric? That's all that really matters. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. An extra nine points and missing four games. Yeah, he would have he would have beat Patrick Kane. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is good for is good for 90-something points, probably 100 this year. Which is crazy because I think this would be the first time he'd beat Pat- Patrick Kane points. Patrick Kane's usually up there. He just had kind of a down year. Nathan McKinnon had an up year, so it was a perfect time for me to pull that trigger, I think. Shout out to yeah. me on that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, now that normally we would have been looking today ahead at the playoffs, um, it probably, who knows what who would it have been, um, but as it sits now, it would be Dallas. Um what do you think the storyline would have been for the Avs right now going into the playoffs had everything continued as normal life? It would have been their depth, um, a combination of how much their depth can help in terms of scoring and how healthy their depth would have been. Uh, that Rangers game was the first of a four-game homestand where the Avalanche were going to eventually have everybody back during that four-game homestand, minus Colin Wilson. Um, Jared Bednar did make it clear that everybody was going to be back. Uh, so you would have seen Ranton and you would have seen Burkowski, you would have seen uh, Calvert, you would have seen Kadri. Holy moly, man, I forgot they had that many injuries. Uh, Grubauer, so those guys would have been back. But 
you know, that would have been games 72, 73, 71, 74, etc. Um, how many of them would still be healthy? Who would have gotten down? In terms of them coming back, how effective would they have been? Uh, Kadri had been out for a while. Rantanen had been out for a while. So it was all about the depth, in my opinion. It would have been going to the playoffs, the story of how effective is the depth going to be. And then obviously, you know, looking down the line, somebody like Tyson Jost, who has been effective, or hell, we haven't mentioned this guy's name yet, Vladislav Nemestikov, who looks like he's been the best offseason or the best trade deadline acquisition with four goals and two assists in nine games. How effective would the depth have been? How healthy would they have been? And how much would the Avalanche be able to rely on them compared to the last two seasons? That's exactly, you know, you touched on it for me. The, the fact that we don't know who would have been healthy. You know, yeah, everybody would have come back with a handful of games left. Who would have stayed? In, you know, on the ice, who would have reaggravated an injury? And for me, I'm of the belief that Grubauer was a lot more injured than we think. And in my opinion, I would have guessed that he might have reaggravated something, just tweaked something, and just re-injured himself to where Pavel Francouz was going to have to carry more weight than he can maybe handle. And it reminds me of kind of what happened, just like we we touched on earlier in the podcast in that year in 2018 when. Hammond ended up having to play in the final game against Nashville <laughs> and, you know, was relied on to be the hamburger again, and he just couldn't do it. That's kind of what I'd be afraid of because injuries don't just go away, not this quickly. I think some of our guys would have come back 100%. Some of them would have come back 75%. And you don't know, you know, especially in seeing how Na- or how Miko Rantanen's seasons kind of unfolded the roller coaster that it's been who knows who they'd actually have going right now and i think that's kind of where this messed up playoff season right now is kind of a blessing in disguise in my opinion because it looked to me just reading between the lines that this was going to be a team that folded early and was going to see an early exit from the playoffs because of how banged up and just not ready for the playoffs they were going to be um I said that before, but I just think, like you said, holy shit, I forgot how many injuries there actually were. Who knows if all 100% of those injuries would have been back to go, to, ready to go and ready to win. And obviously, you know, like you said, ready to win. How effective would they have been? So having those guys in the lineup and having them sort of trying to get back on track uh, is a lot different than having them back and having them operate at, you know, the same pace and the same skill that we know that they are capable of. So... It would have definitely been interesting. It's a storyline we don't have to worry about anymore if or when the NHL does come back. And I've sort of been hammering this. If the NHL was to come back and play an August-September playoff, it would be the best hockey we would ever see. And I wrote a story about this, and I published it, and you know, people it, people responded very well to it. You can find it on milehighsports.com. Uh, is for the first time in our lives, we're going to see an NHL playoff with 100% health. So you have your Pittsburgh Penguins who went out and acquired Jason Zucker to play on the top line with Crosby because Gensel got injured. Now suddenly Gensel and Zucker would be playing with Crosby. Carolina went and brought in Brady Shea and Sammy Vatanen to replace Dougie Hamilton and Jacob Slavin. Suddenly all four of those defensemen are healthy. And for the Avalanche, not only would everybody be healthy, not only would Nemestikov be an addition to that team at full health, but... Colin Wilson might be back. And we all remember how good Colin Wilson can be and what kind of goals he scored in the playoffs. I mean, he had that goal that was waved off mm-hmm. that uh, in Game 7 against the San Jose Sharks that was waved off because of the offside controversial play. Uh, 
Colin Wilson scores big goals and he does them in big moments and that would have been another piece at the Avalanche half. So while that storyline that you were talking about could have been a possibility, I think now it's going to be the opposite where suddenly, you know, right now the team that they have fully healthy, your 13th forward is Tyson Jost. You have Martin Kaut, who's been playing great. Granted, they don't really want to burn his year. You have Kamenev, who's number 14. And then suddenly you have Colin Wilson, who's number 15, who can probably jump into the top 12. So the storyline you were talking about is a thing of the past. If the NHL is able to have a playoff this year, it's going to be the best playoff hockey we've ever seen because of the health factor. And the Avalanche are going to be fully healthy. So it's it would be really fun to watch. So I don't want to get too carried away. But you know, if that was to ever be a thing, it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing to think about, absolutely. Um, it's just crazy that teams that were already stacked before are just going to be double stacked because of injuries that they you know, thought that they were going to have to overcome. Now they're not going to have to overcome them. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about, it actually you jumped the gun on me a little bit there, was Vladimir Mesnikov. I mean, the fact that the season got cut short, it was really a bummer because it seemed like he was starting to really feel comfortable in the Avalanche lineup. I mean, we saw him work some magic, fill in some holes that were missing from some injured guys, and he was really starting to look good to me. It's a bummer that we only got to see him for that small handful of games, but, you know, that's a good way to transition into just what will the offseason look like. I mean, it's hard to break up a team that hasn't failed, you know, if they have to waive the Stanley Cup this year and they just don't award it at all. How do you kind of readjust? I mean, what 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 does the offseason, how does this all impact what goes on offseason? I think in the offseason, so I think the biggest thing that the Avalanche need to realize, and maybe this is something they can do for another year before a player like Alex Newhook comes into the NHL because he will be returning to college for another year next year, is that I don't think as a winning team, Giannis Donskoy is your second-line winger. I think he's your third-line winger. If I was to go into this playoffs, uh, let's say it does happen in, in August, and uh, the Avalanche are going into a playoff, I think you put Nachushkin with Kadri and Burakovsky, and then you put uh, Donskoy where he rightfully belongs on the third line with Comfer. So in regards to this offseason, you know, your top line is set. None of those guys are going anywhere. Your second line, Kadri's not going anywhere. Burakovsky was going to get re-signed. That's another second line winger. The Avalanche needs someone on that second line wing spot. So whether it's bringing back Nachushkin for another year, or whether it's signing somebody new. But I do think on the third line, I don't know how they would make this work with the salary cap because he was making upwards of $4 million this year. But I would love to see Nemestikov stay around because a third line, I've been saying this since the trade deadline, hoping the Avalanche could get healthy. But a third line of Nemestikov, Comfer, and John Donskoy just seems like the perfect, complete, two-way center line. Um, and that's something we, you know, we might not see. And uh, hopefully we do see it. But, you know, in regards to the offseason, you know, not taking salary cap and player demands into account, Nemestikov would be my third-line winger playing with Donskoy and uh, Comfer. And on the second line, you do one of two things. You either bring back Nichushkin for another year and see how he does, or you let Nichushkin go elsewhere and you bring in a proper second-line winger. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, we know how kind of the organization feels about Jost. It's not exactly like he got a good chance to kind of recover yeah. that sentiment in the small handful of games since the tread deadline. So, you know, is there a chance we've seen the last of Jost in an avalanche uniform if this season doesn't continue? I think so. I think he's going to be a part of a trade. Uh, might be the same with Zadorov, but I just don't think he has a place on this team. And 
even if he does become an effective player, and I'm rooting for him, the dude is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. He's just an awesome kid, and you know it's not his fault that things are going wrong. Sometimes it just isn't a fit. But the reality is, the Avalanche have made so many moves now where even if Jost was to sort of pick up his game, which he has, he's been playing great. He had been playing great the last week and a half, two weeks before the pause, is the fact that he just doesn't have a spot on this team anymore. Uh, JT Comfort is your third-line center. He's not going anywhere. And Kadri is your second-line center. He's not going anywhere. And you just don't want to use him in a wing role because he's more effective as a center. And even if you do use him as a wing, the Avalanche are loaded with them. I just talked about the possibility of not re-signing Nichushkin because you have no spot for him. And that kid's been a hell of a player this year. So I just think it's gotten to the point where Jost just doesn't have a spot on this team anymore. And I hope he, wherever he does get traded, he's effective and he has a great year. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, you know, we talked about re-watching those highlights from that St. Louis game two years ago, and Jost was heavily involved in those highlights, yep. but he was being Tyson Jost. He looked just like the Tyson Jost we see this year. So, you know, I think part of his game has plateaued. You know, finding himself in good spots, not being able to finish. I've heard Joe Sackick <coughs> say that, you know, uh, when I was coaching with him, actually, a long time ago, um, probably about, what, eight years ago now, um, he... We had a kid come up to him and say, Joe, can you teach me how to score goals? And he, he just flat out told the kid, if you haven't figured it out by now, you're not going to ever get it. Because scoring goals is just something you either have or you don't. And it seems like Tyson Jost just finds himself on the wrong end of that. He's getting close but misses the net or, you know, unluckily hits the goalie somehow. So it seems to me like what we've seen from Jost is, is not going to go any higher. Um, and for that reason... I'm out, and we might have to, you know, move on from the guy. Yeah, and speaking of your uh, off-season uh, possibilities or what you think that's going, what I think that's going to look like, one of the fantasy land uh, ideas that keeps crossing my mind is the fact that, well, because of the fact that we have this, suddenly we have this, uh, this pandemic is really going to screw up the salary cap possibly it's going to screw up the hockey related revenues it's going to lead to a lot more escrow mm-hmm. there's been the idea thrown around by the big insiders that if you're a free agent this summer maybe don't sign a long-term deal maybe sign a one or two year deal and kick the you know kick the can down the road and wait until there's more money in the league to sign a bigger deal so let's look back at the year 2008 in the summer Pittsburgh lost the Stanley Cup there's this big free agent named Marion Hosa Looking for a long-term deal. He doesn't take the long-term deal in that summer. He decides, let me sign a one-year deal with the Red Wings, who just won the Cup, run it back, and try to win a Cup. So that second-line left-wing spot, I hate to bring it back to this because we talked about it so much, but if you let Nichushkin slash Nemestikov go and bring one of them back to play on the third line with Comfer and Donskoy, it opens up that second-line left-wing role. The Avalanche have a lot of salary cap to give Taylor Hall a one-year $8 million, one-year $9 million, whatever it can be, win the damn cup, and then let him go cash out, hopefully, after winning a Stanley Cup. Mm, now I see where you were getting. Now I see. <laughs> I like the idea. I do. I do. Um, last thing I wanted to get to before we get to the three stars of the week, so basically wrapping up this week's podcast, is just your biggest, most su- pleasant surprise of the season this year. For me, I'll start to give you a second to think about it, is Andre Burakovsky. I mean, I knew he was going to be good, but I think, you know, I didn't realize he was going to lead. He was going to be kind of at, at the top of the avalanche, both scoring and just 
you know, pr- production. He's was put right there on a line with Nathan McKinnon. He's put been put on second line. He's been put on power plays, and he played a much bigger role with the Avalanche than I expected him to, and I think he really shined well in those roles. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. I love the chemistry that him and Nathan McKinnon have together. I'd love to see them play more often. Um, you know, if the if the situation calls for it. But um, my most pleasant surprise this year has been Andre Burakovsky, and I'm excited to see what he brings for years to come in an absolute. And I'm so damn glad that as the goalie guy, you didn't say Pavel Francouz because I wanted to say that. That's my biggest surprise. I mean, we've talked a lot about how we expected him to be good. We expected him to be a, 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 like a, a real NHL goalie, but I still can't wrap my head around how good he's been this year and what he's done. That's my biggest surprise. Uh, over the next 24 months, Pavel Francouz will be the Avalanche's main goalie. Yes, he'll be 30. Yes, he'll be 31. But so was Tim Thomas when he took over the crease in Boston, and he gave them five to seven years of Vezina caliber, Smythe caliber goaltending. And I think that's what's going to happen with Francouz. He is my biggest surprise. Well, that, you hit it on the head for me. He wasn't a surprise. I knew he was going to be like this. You know, <laughs> from day one, I saw him. I knew he was special. So it wasn't a surprise for me. Um, that being said, all, that's all I have on the docket. Anything you want to get to before we head into the three stars of the week? No, that's it for me. Let's head into those three stars of the year of March. Yeah, that's. I guess that's true. Um, so star number three, Mile High Sports Stars of the Week, three goes to Gabe Landeskog just because he's been all over the place this week. He's been doing radio hits. He did that four-person conference call with the NHL. Um, yep. You know, he's been doing the whatever that Twitter show that Altitude's trying to do right now. He's been really <laughs> active in all of that stuff, and uh, you know that can't be easy. And it, you know, especially this time, it kind of feels like it's a time for them to kind of relax and take take a bit of a break. That. Even though it was unexpected, he's still got to kind of try to enjoy it, right? So he's still been on his grind. He's still been kind of towing the company line over there. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's good to see from your captain just that activity. And shout out to Gabe. Yeah, Gabe's doing uh, what captains do, and he's leading this team. Even during a pandemic, he's 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 keeping them relevant. He's keeping this uh, this avalanche team fresh in the, in, the, in the minds of the media and the fans uh, after the season they've had. And... It's just great to see him doing that. I wouldn't expect anything less from him because that's just the kind of guy he is. I've really enjoyed the uh, commercials that they've put together with him and Gary Harris. I'm not sure if you've seen those, but it's like they're having buddies sleepovers. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, I, I have. They've done really well with those. Um, star number yeah. two for me goes to all the Pepsi Center arena workers. I know this is tough for them, but, you know, going to that – building for as long as we all have and the arena workers 99 percent of the time are just delightful pleasant happy to be there you know they're not making the most money in the building but they that doesn't affect the way they do their job and so you know i'm really feeling pain for those guys right now i feel bad for them and i wish there was a way to help them out but you know i am but one man and can only do so much but shout out to all those great arena workers i remember that the night of that last game, I was, like I said, sitting in a suite. The suite attendant came back and was just so distraught. She didn't know what the hell her life was going to look like in the next coming days, let alone weeks, months. Um, so, you know, got to tip my hat to those guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's sort of taken everybody by storm. Everybody's been affected one way or another by this, whether whether it's, you know, financially, physically, emotionally, mentally, something has Everybody has been affected one way or another, and you know there's just no way to really tell where this is gonna go. But you know, definitely shout out to them because it's there's a lot that goes on 
in terms of hosting a you know a sporting event at an arena and you need your staff and you need everybody to be on their a game in order to host such a great event and they do it 41 times a year with a snap of a finger as if it was nothing so it's just great you know they're great assets to the company and to the hockey team and to the pepsi center um and it's an unfortunate time but you know i i know one day we will see them back and hopefully they'll be they'll be able to continue with us when when the nhl returns yeah, I know for some people, like season ticket holders, for example, those arena workers are part of their experience. You know, people go to the game, they're like, yeah. oh, we're going to see the same usher we see every time, the same beer vendor that yep. I like to go to every time. So, you know, those guys are part of the experience, and, and I hope they don't just get overlooked in the whole situation, which leads me to star number one. This one's easy, and that's just the front line of uh, all medical personnel that's handling this pandemic. It's not easy for them. And while everybody else is kind of at home, taking some time to do whatever the hell they need to do. These guys are still working harder than they've probably worked in their entire lives. So shout out to anybody um, who's in that field. And if you happen to be in that field and you're listening to us, well, extra shout out to you. You're our star of the week. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't imagine being in their positions right now. I have a lot of friends that are nurses, doctors, uh, pharmacists, and just working on the front lines. And it is crazy. It's very surreal. Uh, it's it's something that you can't really plan for. It just happened overnight. And it's, you know, there's, you know, there's not enough words to put into place how thankful we are to have people like that. Um, and shout out to them, like you said. Uh, they're going to deserve a lot of praise coming out of this. And, you know, uh, hopefully that comes sooner rather than later for their sake and for our sake. Oh, well, it felt good to talk hockey again, didn't it? Man, it's been it's been weird. Yeah, it sure did. It sure yeah, did. Well, like I said, I hope, you know, this helps entertain you for a while. Take your mind off some stuff. If you find some time during the quarantine to listen to us, obviously we appreciate it. Um, you know, I've been pretty quiet on Twitter, but, you know, I was thinking about starting to just respond to everything and everybody just because i've been that bored i don't know i'm more of a sit and watch but i haven't been too active uh you saying you got something else for us Arif? yeah i mean that's i mean like basically what you said it's you know at this point you just got to find any way to just sort of make do with your time and uh, if you're not on the front lines working and if you're just trying to find anything to do uh number one pitch some ideas our ways we'd love to throw some more podcasts at you i'd love to write some more articles uh, I did write a fancy, a, a fun, not fancy, but a fun article I uh, I heard, I overheard on Sportsnet Radio about Brad Trilliving almost getting hired by the Avalanche, and that was something I thought was cool to write about. So, if you guys have any ideas, if you have any questions, throw it our way. Uh, send us whatever you guys' thoughts are. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. And away from hockey, you know, you just gotta find whatever you can to do to keep yourself busy. I mean, I. My Twitter handle is RunRightArif. I'm not doing as much writing anymore, but I've sort of offset that with running because that's the only kind of exercise we can do right now. So find what it is you love. If you're a runner, reach out to me. I'd love to talk running with you and talk running shoes and all the geeky, nerdy running things that I love to talk about. Uh, um, so, you know, at this point, we're all in this together. All we can do is just sort of make do with our time and do what we can with it. Yeah, absolutely. I've been playing a lot of FIFA, and luckily for me, I'm an essential worker i guess um so you know my regular job's still moving so i've been doing things keeping myself busy but i, w- I did find myself a uh, chance to connect with one of our listeners and i've been playing him in fifa um you know and he doesn't nice. even live in colorado so you know that's something we can do too i don't know let's all just get through this together and uh you know we're here for you you guys are probably here for us and you know i enjoy uh getting to interact with you guys so feel free to interact with us we're here for it right 
But yeah, that being said, uh, thanks again for joining us on this podcast. Uh, it was refreshing to talk some hockey again. Forgive us if we're a little bit rusty, but you know, it's been a few weeks. I'm sure everybody's rusty at everything they do right now. So yeah, that's all we have for you, Arif. Anything else before we get out of here? That's it for me. We'll uh, we'll try to keep you guys updated as much as we can, and we'll try to pop these out as much as we can, and hopefully Wait, one we'll more see thing. you guys on the one other more side. Thing. Sorry, sorry. Last podcast we did, we ended on a really great positive note, as the hockey is for everyone note, right? Yesterday we saw the ugliness happen over with the New York Rangers. Shame, shame, shame. That's all I wanted to say is whoever attacked, um, shoot, I forget the player's name. Keandre Lewis, is it? Keandre Miller. Keandre Miller. Miller. Um, yeah, so that, that's embarrassing that uh, that's still something going on in hockey. Um, so, yeah, just remember, everybody, that hockey is for everyone. Other than that, we're out you.